Father, we just prayed a moment ago from Romans 15, the scriptures of the Old Testament. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it was said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And we in this room are the fruit of that answered prayer and prophecy of the Old Testament in Jesus Christ. We are here singing to your name. We are here rejoicing in you. And we pray that this time together as we spend one more Sunday in Luke 15 and we see one more time the beauty and the glory of that Savior, that you would use us to go and sing the gospel to lost people and that they would come and rejoice with us in you. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So we do come this morning to our last sermon here in Luke 15. And so far, we've spent about four weeks um, looking in, in detail at the three parables that Jesus gives uh, here in this chapter. And the way that Jesus uses those parables to, to completely redefine salvation, uh, challenging the common view that was held about salvation in his day, and, and certainly the same misunderstanding of salvation that's held in our day, in, in, in our day the, the view that we can save ourselves, that God helps those who help themselves. That's not the gospel. That's not how God saves us. And so Jesus is using this chapter, and he is turning that way of thinking on its head. He is redefining what it means to be lost, that we're not just lost when we're immoral and outside the church, that we can be just as lost in our morality and our moralism inside the church. He's redefining what it means to be spiritually lost. He's, he's redefining what it means to be spiritually found. That we, if we are going to be found, it is going to be sheer grace that finds and saves us. Not we who help and save ourselves. So he's redefining salvation. And there's one last point that we've touched at as we've gone along in this chapter, but we've not covered it in detail, but we are going to do that this morning. One last point Jesus makes, and it's articulated in verse 7. Look at verse 7. Jesus says, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 so-called righteous persons who have no need of repentance. So the question then would be, how ought we to respond to Jesus' articulation of salvation? How do we respond whenever we grasp what Jesus is teaching us about what it means to be lost and what it means to be found? How do we respond to that? Once we've seen how Jesus saves, once we've seen how he saves us, who have received him through repentance and faith, how do we respond to that? And verse 7 is the answer. Verse 7 is the answer of pure joy. But not a joy that we keep to ourselves. It is a joy that we pursue in and with other lost but found sinners. That's what I want us to consider this morning in this last sermon here in Luke 15. So we're going to unpack that in two steps. Number one, I want to show you 
how Jesus is emphasizing that notion, that joy of salvation, that joy of evangelism, rather, in this chapter. And then we're going to see how that joy in evangelism directly involves us. It's one thing to talk about it out here conceptually. It's another thing to see how this hits us personally as believers. So let's begin by looking at how Jesus emphasizes the joy of evangelism here in Luke 15. You know, when, when you hear a preacher give a sermon, usually he'll have a number of main points. And for whatever reason, it's almost always three, isn't it? It seems to be three. Um, and then, but, you know, as he goes through the sermon, there's a number of subpoints or really, uh, side points that the preacher will mention. Now, sometimes those are planned. Sometimes they're in the notes. Sometimes they're just extemporaneous. Uh, they're unplanned. But they're side points. So if you took them out of the sermon, right, by definition, it really doesn't affect the main thrust of the sermon, right? You still got the main points. The main things, the emphasis that the preacher wants you to get from the sermon, you're still going to get that even without the side points that attach to it. Jesus really is giving us a sermon, if you like, in Luke 15 with these parables. And what we need to see is when he mentions the joy of evangelism, it is not a side point. This is one of Jesus' main points throughout this chapter. It's not a throwaway comment that he makes, that if you removed the joy of evangelism from Luke 15, that you'd be able to get the full sermon. You wouldn't get it. And I want to explain to you why. I want to show you why that's the case. Remember the three elements that Jesus has in these three parables as he goes through chapter 15. There are three elements, remember? There's something lost, there's something found, and then there's a celebration that follows the finding of that lost thing. So look down at the uh, the parables with me. Just kind of take in the whole chapter, right? So the, the first parable, the parable of the sheep, you've got a lost sheep, verse 3. The sheep is found, verse 5. And then verse 6, there's a party that celebrates it, right? A joyous celebration. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Okay, next parable, parable of the lost coin. So you got a coin that's lost, verse 8, a coin that's found, verse 9, and then this joyous celebration that follows. Verse 9, look, and when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. And then again, in the third parable, the parable of the lost sons, you've got a son who's lost, a son who's found, and then the big celebration. Right? And that's even mentioned twice in verse 24 and verse 32. The last verse, verse 32, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is not a side point. All right? This is not a take it or leave it part of the sermon. This is one of the main points Jesus wants us to understand. And notice two other things that Jesus does to underscore that with the theme of this celebration. First of all, notice that it's the celebration in particular that he explicitly draws out and gives us 
the interpretation and the application of. So look at verses 7 and verse 10. You see that little phrase, just so? What that means is he's now moving from the parable to reality. He's now taking the story and he's now going to interpret it and explain how it applies to us. And in particular, he does this right at the juncture where he mentions the celebration. So verse 7, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who have no need of repentance. And again in verse 10, just so I tell you, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The, the, The celebrations... In the made-up stories, in the parables, correspond to reality. They correspond to the actual celebration that goes on, even in heaven, when one lost person is found by the grace of Jesus Christ. But there's a second thing he does that takes it even further. Look at what Jesus does in verse 28. Watch how the older son the lost older son responds to the celebration of his lost brother being found. Look at what he says in verse 28. So he gets news, his brother's alive, he's back home, he's been found, he's reconciled with the father, he's restored. And in verse 28, he was angry and refused to go in. So not only does the older son refuse to go and help his father, in the finding of his younger brother, he refuses to celebrate the fact that he has come home. And remember that the refusal of the older son to celebrate with the father was a huge manifestation of his lostness. We see the disparity between the father's heart and the older son's heart, right? His rejection of the celebration, his refusal to celebrate the loss being found is an evidence of his lostness. Now just think about what Jesus is saying to us now. How does that translate into reality for us? How does that apply to you and me? It means a refusal to celebrate and take joy in the lost being found is an evidence of lostness. And that's true whether it's anger, like the older brother here has, or whether it's just simply indifference. We just aren't moved or care enough when the lost are lost or when the lost are found. Now that does not mean, I'm not saying that if you are low on the evangelistic fervor scale that you're lost, right? That's not, not the, we don't want to press it that far. But neither do we want to downplay how shocking Jesus' words are here. Now this is, he, he wants us to be moved by this. He wants this to impact us. He wants us to understand how important it is that we delight in seeing the lost found. At the very least, we need to say that 
a lack of joy in evangelism reflects the heart of the lost older son, not the heart of the father. And as Christians, that's a problem. Right? We want, as Christians, our affections to line up and correspond to the affections of Jesus. Right? We want to love what He loves. And we want to delight in what He delights in. And when we see in our hearts an indifference toward, and certainly an opposition toward evangelism, that's a problem. It's a problem because that's a characteristic of spiritual lostness. That's not a characteristic of what it means to be redeemed, to understand grace. That's not a reflection of our Savior's heart. And so clearly the celebration is not a side point in Jesus' sermon The joy of evangelism is a main emphasis in what Jesus has been teaching us here in Luke 15. Just as Jesus wants us to understand what it means to truly be spiritually lost and what it means to truly be spiritually found by His grace, He also wants us to join Him in joy and celebration and how he saves sinners. Verse 6, when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, look at it, rejoice with me. Jesus rejoices when the lost are found. And he is inviting us as believers, as his friends, as people who have experienced that transition from lostness to being found and saved. He wants us to rejoice with him in evangelism. He wants us to rejoice with all of heaven when even one sinner repents and is found by His grace. So it's not a side point. This is the main point. We can't leave Luke 15 until we get this. But now the way I've been describing it, the way I've been describing this joy is the joy of evangelism rather than simply the joy of salvation. And, And I chose the former intentionally. I did that for a reason. This joy is, I think, best described as the joy of evangelism because how we are included in the spread of that joy. Let me show you how this joy of evangelism directly involves us. So we need to ask the question as we see the evangelist in these three uh, parables. Who is the underscore the evangelist in Luke 15? Well, it's God. He's the one who saves people by His sheer grace. Jesus is the one who said, I've come to seek and to save the lost. He is the evangelist par excellence. He's the one who dies for our sins. He's the one who rises to save us. And yet, while this chapter focuses mainly on the Godward part of how the lost are found, right? it's focusing mainly on what God does 
to save sinners. We know there's another aspect to that as well, namely the role that we play in evangelism. Jesus saves the lost, yeah, but he uses means, which is to say he uses us. We know that the gospel is the power of God that saves sinners. And we can't save anybody. We can't die for people's sins. The gospel is what saves people, but how are they going to hear about it? How are they going to know what they must do to be saved? They need to hear from us the good news that when they put their faith in Christ, their sins are forgiven. They have a relationship with God. If they don't hear it from our lips, they're just not going to hear it. They hear it from us. They hear it from the lips of fellow lost sinners who have been found by the grace of Jesus Christ. They hear it from those who have, put it this way, who have not only been found by God's grace, but have been sent by it. Isn't that what Jesus has taught us time and time again as we've gone through Luke's gospel? So just kind of roll back in your mind to some of the events, some of the teachings, some of the stories that we've seen so far in Luke's gospel. Remember the the, the man uh, who lived in, the, in, in Gerasene and he had the, the demons and Jesus heals him and he wants to go be with Jesus. Remember what Jesus tells him? He says, no, you go back home to do what? To spread the gospel. Go tell people who I am and what I've done. Go invite others into a relationship with me. He sins. There's a lost guy who gets found, but he's not just found, he's sent, right? So Luke 12, or uh, rather Luke chapter 9, the sending out of the 12. Right? They were not only found by Jesus' grace, they were sent. And, and then again, the next chapter, Luke chapter 10, 72 others get sent out. And again, Jesus is teaching about confessing him before other people in Luke chapter 12, was an outward thrust. And of course, we're eventually, you're kind of wondering, we're only in chapter 15, and that's been five weeks, are we ever going to get to the end of the book? But we will eventually, and we're eventually going to get to Luke 24, and we're going to get to Luke's version of the Great Commission. And it will be crystal clear as Jesus sends his people to spread the gospel, to evangelize, to be the means through which He brings the gospel to lost people and saves sinners. And that's not just a feature of Jesus' teaching. It's not just like we only find that in Luke and nowhere else, right? That responsibility that we have as Christians to evangelize is throughout Scripture. We saw that just a few weeks ago, didn't we? Whenever we went through Psalm 96, that was our memory verse, Psalm 96, 3. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. That's us. We're the ones declaring His glory in the gospel to the ends of the earth. And then, of course, we just prayed it, right? We just prayed it a few minutes ago in this service from Luke 15, just or, uh, rather uh, Romans 15. Grab the sheet. Let's look at it again. I said we'd come back to it. I said, you'll see the overlap between what Jesus is teaching here about the joy of evangelism and what we find in passages like Romans 15. Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. 
And then he has all these quotes from the Old Testament showing that. And just look at how he quotes. Look at what he quotes. And watch the overlap between what Jesus has said and what we find here. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I'll sing to your name. People sing for joy. Okay? And we see that in the next one. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles. And there it is, with his people. That's what it means to spread the good news of great joy. Not only are we rejoicing in Christ for who he is and for what he's done for us, but we are inviting other people to come and to join us in that joy. That's the joy of evangelism. Listen, becoming a Christian is not only a transition from being lost to being found, it is also a transition from being lost to being sent. Evangelism isn't just something that Jesus does. It's something he calls us to join him in doing. And not only that, but to find joy in doing it. But now here's the question I know that's on many of our minds. I know it's been on my mind. I'm sure you've probably thought of this as we've gone through this. And here's the question. What if I lack that joy in my life? What if too often I see myself responding And maybe it's not anger like the older brother, but maybe it's just indifference. What if evangelism is barely even a blip on my radar? What if I can't even remember a time I've ever shared the gospel with a lost person? What if that's not present in my heart? Is anybody asking that this morning? I mean, I I find myself asking that sometimes. It's good that we ask ourselves that question. In light of Jesus' words earlier in Luke 15. We don't want our heart to mirror the older son. We want it to mirror the father. So how do we address that lack of joy of evangelism in our lives? Well, let me just suggest two things to you, and then we'll be done this morning. Two things. Number one, and these are basic things, don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. I think one of the contributing factors to a lack of evangelism and a lack of passion for evangelism amongst Christians is a fear of evangelism. And one of the big fears of evangelism, not just the relational fears, what are people going to think of me, but what am I going to do? How am I going to do it? What if I get asked the wrong questions that I don't know how to answer? Uh, what if I fumble my way through it? What if I don't know and have memorized the right... Whatever it might be. There's a fear that stunts the passion that we would otherwise have in evangelism. And I think that's just because we're overthinking. We're making it more complicated than it really is. So don't overthink it. Don't make it more difficult than it actually is. Evangelism really isn't that complicated. Evangelism is simply sharing good news. 
right? Christians didn't make up that word, by the way. It was used widely in that day by non-Christians just to share good news, right? Just to just think about it as that. We're just telling other people some really good news. And here's the, here's the deal. You do that all the time, don't you? You do it without trouble, without hesitation. You probably do it without even thinking about it, right? Did you talk to anybody this week about the weather and about the fact that the hurricane missed Florida? Did you talk about that casually with somebody this week, right? You're talking about good news, right? It's good news that it didn't hit Florida, right? And I know I've used this illustration before, but it's, it's so appropriate. It's, it's so attuned to what we're talking about here. Why does virtually every app on your phone have a share button? Readily accessible, you can't miss it, and then when you touch it, it gives you upteen different ways to share. You can do, you can text message it to somebody, you can email it to somebody, you can use Facebook, and I didn't use the definite article, so tell Aaron I, I didn't use it. Um, right? You know, you, you take a picture, oh that's so cute, what do you want to do? You want to send it to somebody, you want somebody else to see it, right? Or you hear a song, you want to share the song, or you see a movie, or you see a funny article, or uh, an interesting article, or a troubling, or whatever it might be, and you're given ten different ways to share that content. Have you ever just stopped to ask, why do you have that many options? Why do apps give you that many different choices? Why is the share button always included? And, And here's why. Because even software developers understand a very basic part of human nature, and that is, we like to evangelize. We like to tell other people good news. We are not content with simply enjoying it by ourselves. We want somebody to enjoy it with us. We delight to share what we enjoy. We delight to share it because the sharing is part of the delight. In a real sense, our enjoyment of it is incomplete until we make it known and enjoyed by somebody else. That's not a hard concept to understand, is it? Everybody gets this. Everybody understands we're all evangelists for something. It's just part of our nature. And that's all evangelism is, just calling other people to rejoice in the object of our joy with us. It's not more complicated than it. It's not more difficult than that. It's not hard for you to hit the share button. It's not hard to share what we love. It's not hard to share what we enjoy. And how much more true would that be of the gospel? The more we focus on the beauty and the glory of Jesus, the more we pursue our joy in Him for who He is, for what He has done for sinners like us, the more that will naturally, naturally overflow and go public. It will naturally overflow into a desire to make it known to others. That's evangelism. So so don't make it more complicated and more difficult than it really is. Don't overthink it. 
And then second, this is the last thing I want to say, is don't put it off. Don't put it off. Part of the way that we cultivate that joy in Christ and in evangelism, which is sharing Christ, is by actually doing it. Right? You know, we sometimes take kids to the Cedar Point in uh, in Sandusky, and there's certain rides that are just a little bit of a stretch for some people. Oh, I can't do it. I don't want to do it. And then, then they do it, and then what happens? They, they want to go ride it again because it's so awesome, right? Well, they wouldn't have experienced that joy and that love for that, right? They hadn't just done it, and they hadn't jumped on and done it, right? So, so you, you take that step. You actually do the evangelism. You actually step out of the comfort zone. And, and really, once you begin doing it, you realize that it's very comfortable. It's very satisfying. It's very meaningful. Don't put it off. Let me just give you a couple of basic things that we can do to get started. And the first is that just simply pray. You understand, that's part of what we do whenever we pursue evangelism, is we pray. And that should already be something that we're doing regularly anyway. We're reminded every Sunday, aren't we, with our 3-2-1 initiative? Praying for three lost people twice a week for a year. But if you're like me, you get busy during the week. Other things come in. School starts. Ministry starts. And that praying for lost people kind of drops by the wayside, right? Which is why we remind ourselves of it every Sunday. Which is why we're going to remind ourselves of it right now. To pray for the lost. It's a fresh reminder. In fact, take back out that Romans 15. Okay, grab your insert. Go ahead and take it and grab a pen or a pencil or a crayon, whatever you writing utensil you like to use. All right, have a good time. But grab, grab the sheet and grab something to write and we're going to take a moment and we're going to do just that. So what you'll see at the bottom of the page is an empty box and I want you to do three things in that empty box. I told you pastors always come back to three, right? So whatever. But three things I want you to write down, okay? Right now, I want you to write down the names of those three people that you're praying for this year. Just go ahead and take a moment and write it down. If you spell their name wrong, they won't know it unless they're sitting next to you. And they're looking on your sheet. But you shouldn't be looking at the other person's sheet. Look at your sheet. Fill it out. Okay? And and it, it... if you're having trouble remembering the names of those three people on your list, I mean, that, that may be like, like me, you have a terrible memory, short term and long term, but it, it may also be a reflection of the fact that we haven't been praying for them enough. If we're praying for them week by week by week by week, they, the names should be right there. If you've been praying for them regularly, you should be able to list them. Three, three people, three lost people. Okay, next thing I want you to do is now you can look around, right? I want you to write the name of a fellow Christian sitting around you. Write the name of a fellow Christian that's sitting around you. It could be in your family, um, whatever. Somebody around you. Write their name down. And then the last thing I want you to do is to write down some of the ministries we've got starting up this fall. So, grief share. We've mentioned that a number of times. Uh, the sermon series, youth group, women's meetings, men's meetings. Write down some of those ministries. And, and now here's what you're going to do with that list. 
I want you to take this list and put it somewhere that you're going to see it regularly this week. On the fridge, maybe, um, in the, next to the mirror, in the bath, somewhere that you're going to see it regularly this week. And then pray. Pray for the people on your list. Pray for the witness of fellow Christians. That person that you wrote that was sitting next to you, right? Pray that they would be praying. Pray that they would have what they stand in need of to bring the gospel to lost people. I love it when we get prayer requests on Sunday mornings for help to witness to lost people. Pray for that for somebody near you. And pray for the ministries that we're doing this fall. We're spending a lot of time and effort and resources to do some of these things. And what a waste of time that would be if we didn't care that God actually brought lost people to it. Pray for that. So pray. And then lastly, do more than just pray. Do more than just pray. Why not hit the share button? On some of this stuff. When I hit the share button on the fall ministries, I'm told that somebody got an announcement that Facebook was updated shockingly. Like, like our Facebook page was shocked that it remembered that it was there and, and updated it. But yeah, it is updated. I, I guarantee it's, it's updated. I uh, updated the grief share stuff, uh, the fall ministries coming up. So you could share that. You could do that this afternoon. You could post it on your wall or whatever it is that it's called that you post things on. That's genuine. I really don't know what the name of it is. Um, but I didn't use a definite article. So again, I encourage Aaron for that. Right? So just hit the share button. Right? Or, or whatever uh, means of social media that you like to use. You could share easily a link to the website or to the Facebook page that will take you to the website. You can go old school. Right? You can tell somebody verbally. Um, someone that you sit next to at, 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 uh, at work maybe. Uh, we're sending out some mailers this week um, to a lot of people in the community. You pray for those. Maybe we'll have some of those next week, I think, on hand. You could pick up one and give it away. You could put it somewhere where people see it, uh, like a, a bulletin board in town. So to hit the share button, take, here's another thing you can do besides pray. You can take some steps to cultivate your relationships with some of those people that you wrote down. Right? So what could you do? You could take somebody out to lunch. Just to get to know them better. Just to cultivate the relationship with them. You could send somebody a text message and say, Hey man, I just want you to know, uh, you've been on my mind this week and I've been praying for you. If there's any way I can pray for you anytime, let me know. Just something simple like that. It's non-threatening, it's, but it's, it's a means, right? Actually invite them to come with you to church. What do, you, what do you think is more likely to bear fruit? A, an impersonal mailer that hits somebody's mailbox or a personal invitation from you to somebody in your circle of influence? What do you think is going to be more likely to have somebody come and hear the gospel? Invite somebody. Invite them to come to grief share or to, to, to youth group or to church. Those are little things. Those are not really difficult things for us to do. They're little things, but can I tell you, they're huge. You understand that one thing you do this week has the potential 
to change someone's eternity. Little things make a huge difference. And here's what will happen for you. Okay, we're just now talking about that. Here's what will happen for you as you prayerfully do that. As you actually move beyond just the praying, but actually doing of it, it's going to affect you. Right? When you begin to see the impact of your prayers and your witness on real people, things are happening, God is responding, it affects you. Your understanding of evangelism will begin to shift from this mere duty that we've got to do, and I'm not doing enough of it, and I feel guilty about it, from mere duty and guilt to, to, to simply delight. Satisfying joy. Jesus says, rejoice with me. I'm not asking you to do something that is a killjoy. Jesus is not asking you to do something that's going to kill your joy. He's asking you to intensify your joy. Through making that joy public. And so that's where we conclude this sermon, this series, as we've been going through Luke 15. That we want to keep our eyes on everything Jesus has taught us in this chapter. We want to keep in view how he has redefined salvation. How he's redefined what it means to be lost. How he has redefined what it means to be saved, to be found by His sheer grace, and also to keep in view how He intends for us to respond to that good news of salvation. How as Christians, we are not just lost people who have been found by the grace of Jesus Christ. We are lost people who have been found and have been sent by that same grace. Sent to pursue our joy of evangelism by inviting the lost to join in that gospel joy with us. And so that's where we end. For the glory of Jesus Christ and for our joy in Him, go and spread that joy this week. Let's pray. And Lord Jesus, you know us through and through, and you know that without your Holy Spirit working and enlivening us and motivating us and giving us the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the joy, the supernatural product of your work in our hearts, we will not experience and spread that joy. And so, Holy Spirit, would you fill us afresh, enable us, motivate us, carry us to do the joyful task of making Jesus Christ known. And we pray in His name. Amen.